Amen. If you got a purpose, can I hear an amen? Come on, y'all excited in the house of God. Open up your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Gloria a Dios. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm glad that you're here. Thank you for coming this morning to church. We are so excited. We are now finishing up a section of our sermon series on the book of Ephesians. We're going verse by verse in the year 2017. We have taken on the chunks at a time, and so the chunks of verses come through at a time, rather. And today is going to be the last time you're going to hear this chunk, verses 3 through 14. Everybody go, ah. But it is okay, because there's a whole nother pass that's coming up, and it's going to have a bunch of verses, so start reading ahead. I encourage you to read the book of Ephesians at least once a week, if not the passage once a week. Can I get an amen for that? All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, and if you're new with us or have missed any of those messages, you can go online or the app at the iTunes store or Google. Look up Metro Praise International, and you'll see our app there, and you can get them all there. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Where? Where is every spiritual blessing? In Christ. So what I want to do after preaching from the first service is I want to tie this in to where we are in the sermon series with a wonderful picture that I had shared at the beginning of the sermon series, and I want to go back to this mamma jamma. That is what verse 3 is revealing to you, this beautiful mystery being in Christ. Think about that. Paul is saying, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Let's say you're the blue flame and Jesus is the red flame. You are this close to Jesus right now. This is how close you are to Jesus. The only difference between you now and you in heaven is this body. That is it. That is the only difference. But in your spiritual soul, you are this close to Jesus. And that's why we need a resurrected body so that we can continue to display the glory that he's given us. But here's the deal. While we're here now in this blessed union, in this interminglement between the divine and the human, as we are participating, as Peter said, in the divine nature, we are to manifest those heavenly blessings from the heavenly realms. So it's not just to say, oh, I've got a pie in the sky, a treasure to look forward to. I want some pie right now. Look at your neighbor and say, you can have some of that heavenly pie. You can have a taste of heaven even right now. And that is what Paul is so thankful for. Why do you think he's praising God? He is praising God because the heavenly blessings are being even poured out now. Let's keep going into verse 4. He says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and what? Blameless in his sight. How does God see you today? Holy and blameless. How do you see yourself? Holy and blameless, that needs to be your self-identity. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, as he will be. You decide today whether or not you will see yourself sinless or whether or not you will see yourself as a sinner. In Christ, I am sinless and I will sin less. In Christ, I am holy and I will be holy and do holy things. In Christ, I am righteous and I will do righteous things. Who you be? 
Are you a sinner or are you a saint? Are you in the Adamic nature of the fallen sinful flesh or are you in Christ? And that may be a trick question because somebody may say both. But in technical terms, you are in Christ and not in the Adamic nature because there's not two yous. The flesh is the inanimate object remaining from the Adamic nature, but that which was affected by the sin and died instantly wasn't the flesh, it was the soul. So you are a soul that's of a spiritual substance living in a body. So though you may still have the flesh cursed as it is from Adam, it is now not no longer your identity. Your identity is of spiritual substance, and you are born again of heaven. Amen? And so that's why the Bible says to live the crucified life and to consider this inanimate object dead as well as its desires and passions in chapter 5 of Galatians. Can I hear an amen? Thank you. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. How many King's kids do I have here today? That's the name of our children's ministry because we want to speak it over every one of their lives. And now today, you can say that as well. I'm a king's kid. And if you really want to go deep into this, read Romans and begin to understand not only are we adopted and brought in, and no offense towards redheaded, uh, redheaded people, but listen to this illustration. Back in the day, if you were ginger, sometimes they would look down on you and they would call you a redheaded stepchild, okay? But here's the deal. When we get adopted, we don't come in as the red-headed stepchild, the odd one out, or in a better example to make all my ginger folks happy today. We're not the, we're, we're not the Rudolph the red-nosed reindeers anymore. We now take on the nature of Christ. He becomes our elder brother, and we share in his nature and his identity. So you're no longer Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. You're now in the image of Christ. For that was why we were first made in the image of God. He made them male and female. Amen. And so this is so beautiful that now we can say in Christ, I am adopted. I am not a bastard child of the devil. And please don't think I swore. That's King James language, folks. The word bastard means that you've been abandoned by your real father. And now you're struggling through life. And maybe you've worked at the circus and became a carny. And somebody took you under their wings and said, I'll be your father, kid, you know, and that's what the devil did. He came in in that sense, but you are not the bastard child of him. You were born from glory and for glory. You have eternity in your heart, and though your heart may be restless, it will find its rest in him. And for some of you who say, I'm afraid of what tomorrow will bring. I don't know what I'll do. Listen to me. Don't be afraid of tomorrow because you know who holds tomorrow in his hands, and that's our God. And you are a king's kid. Amen. In accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. What kind of grace does he have? Glorious grace in this place, up in your face. That's what you need to bring to every place is the glorious grace of God and show it on your face. Amen. You need to let your face know what your heart's feeling. Some of you look busted and disgusted, but some of you are happy. How many are happy to be in church? How many know there's grace in your heart and there's grace on your face? 
How many work in the customer service industry, sales, and how many want to see that on your customers? But sometimes you got to start off. you got to start that trend. you got to put grace on your face and smile and believe that Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. And the Bible says he's freely given us this grace in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. I hope that this did not become boring to you. This is the last time I'll preach it in this sermon series, and some of you have been coming to the church for a few months, and you may think this is the only passage of the Bible I know. But we'll preach other passages now. Trust us. We know other parts of the Bible. But, oh, I'm telling you, I have not bored of this. This is not taking my, uh, this is not, uh, my attention has not been lost here. It keeps my attention. And just this week, I was going through a unique situation, something that I had never gone through before, and I didn't have time to share it in the first, but I think I can share it now in the second. And what it was, was that uh, Lester, uh, Chester Bennington, the lead singer of um, Lincoln Park, took his life, and I felt bad. This was the first time, I mean, I felt bad before in some ways, but I was really hurt because this is my generation. I'm 40, he's 41, I was in a rock band on drugs, he was in a rock band on drugs, you know. But I got saved at 18. But this just hurt me because it made me think about all my friends and the people, some that I've already lost and some that are still out there. Believe it or not, there's still guys my age making new music like Snoop Dogg about smoking weed. They just put out a new album looking at my friends going, come on, guys, grow up. You don't want your kids to do this, but they keep trying to make it in Fort Wayne. But anyways, Fort Wayne, Indiana. But I was riding my bike, and I was dealing with these thoughts that I had never had before. Not despair for me, but almost like despair for the generation. And I know Ishmael can, can relate to this. And I was listening to the book of Ephesians and listen to me. I heard things from the book of Ephesians relate to that situation that I did not even know. Meaning, if you would have come to me last week and said, my friend committed suicide, do you have any advice from the book of Ephesians? I would have had to have dug and found something in there, but I never would have found the scriptures that God gave me. But I was riding my bike, and here I am listening to the book of Ephesians, what you can do in 20 minutes. I like to listen to it, to hip-hop, to Street Lights app. Get it if you haven't already. So it's like, in him, you were predestined. I'm just kidding, but it kind of goes like that. Anyways, so I'm listening to this, getting my bike riding on my exercise, and all of a sudden it gets to this place right here. Do not let the sun set on your anger, and do not give a foothold to the devil. Probably never would have connected that to suicide, but that week I was studying on suicide to do our podcast that we do on Wednesdays, and I was studying Dr. Myers of the famous Dr. Meyer clinics all over this area, the best in the world we have in Chicagoland area from Dr. Myers, Christian counselor and PhD and all of these things, and he said in his study in the book, Happiness is a Choice, out of all the patients that he's had, he said that depression is more tied to bitterness and anger than any other emotion. It's actually not sadness itself. It's numbness that comes from anger and bitterness because of self-inflicted guilt and the things that have happened and people are angry and upset. And it just clicked in. I understood it because I've dealt with depressive people. And when you try to get them out, sometimes they get mad and snap at you. It's because it's an anger issue. It's a bitterness issue. It's a guilt issue. Are you listening? And here I'm listening to this thinking about Chester Bennington and I hear the scripture, don't let the sun go down on on your anger and don't give a foothold to the devil and all of the lyrics of his song started going through my mind and I'm like that dude gave a foothold to the devil and I said oh God we got to get him free from anger 
We got to get them free from bitterness. We got to get them free from self-hatred, which is a real hatred. Are you listening to me? Based out of anger. Somebody say, God is good. I got that nugget from the book of Ephesians, and I hope that the mystery of his will is being made known to you. Look at it, verse 9. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will, according to why people die in suicide, was revealed to me. Do you get how awesome that is? What mysteries of God's will do you need revealed to you? How many husbands would like the mystery of God's will revealed to you about your wife? Come on, somebody. Can I get an amen? I got some sassy Puerto Rican women looking at me right now like, like no, no. My husband ain't getting that ready, Pastor. He got to work for it. I'm going to tell him how to make me happy. Come on now. How many parents want to know the mystery of the will of being good parents to your children and knowing their heart when everything else doesn't make sense on the outside? God just bypasses the music. God bypasses the friends and goes, this is the heart. The mystery of his will has been revealed to you. And then it says right here that he's lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Can I show you what I think this will look like? Come on, somebody say bring him. I got another picture. This is what it's coming to, my friends. The bride of Christ being clothed in the glory of God. The Bible says she comes down with New Jerusalem, that city from heaven. All things are brought together and unified. Now, I want to tell you right here, this is an illustration of beauty. But as a masculine man, I can identify with this because the Bible says that there is an expression that the woman has that God chose to be for the church, and he loves the church this way. And so if I got to be God's bride on Judgment Day, I'm okay with that. Amen? Ain't nothing wrong with that. And then our culture has it all twisted because it's not a sexuality that he's pointing to. What he's saying is you're this beautiful to me. You're this lovely to me. I cherish you this same way. I am your eternal husband. I wish I had some single lady saying amen right now. Come on. This is how God sees us. And we're going to get to this passage in Thessalonians, so I'm kind of giving away the conclusion right now. But the Bible is talking about what has possessed us, we will now possess we will be unified with heaven as we are on earth. So some people just want to go to heaven. I want to see heaven come to earth. How many can say an amen to that? So I gave away the good part at the end, but I'll put that back. But I had to tie it together because Paul knows what he's saying as a preacher. God's inspiring him. He says, this is going to happen in the end time. The unity of all things is going to come to pass. Now verse 11, in him we were chosen. So he kind of goes back to what he was already saying, but he's going to give you more details now. In him you were chosen, predestined according to the plan of him who works out how many things? Everything. Thank you to the conformity of the purpose of his will. What is the number one cause of discouragement in the Christian's life when they don't see there's a purpose for the pain? Let's just be honest. When you don't see your life in God's plan, that's when you get discouraged. But you see, Joseph, he saw himself in God's plan. He could get thrown into a pit by his brothers, and he's still celebrating the goodness of God. He's not overlooking the pain of the world. He's not saying, oh, this feels so good. But he's still celebrating his God, going, my God's still with me. You threw me in a pit, he's still here. Even like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you throw me in the fire, I don't know if he'll save me or not, but I know my God is good. I know my God is real, okay? Are you listening? So you throw Joseph in a pit, he's still living for Jesus. You put him in Potiphar's house as a slave, he's 
is blessed beyond all the other slaves. They lie on him and throw him into prison. He's blessed among all the other prisoners. Come on, somebody. God blesses you. And then he gets brought before Pharaoh. So whether it was the pit or Potiphar's house or there in prison or before Pharaoh, he knew who his God was. Now watch this. It's because he understood the plan of his God. He had dreams, right? He understood that these dreams would come to pass. And Joseph is my favorite Old Testament character. And a lot of times he gets picked on because they say he was prideful and cocky because he went and shared it to his brothers. No, he was humble and holy telling his brothers what God had said. There was nothing cocky about that young man. Don't let any preacher put on him what the Bible does not put on him. He was a man of God sharing with them the plan of God. And the plan of God was for the whole family to be saved. They should have rejoiced, but they got jealous of him in a pit. But now watch this. Why is it some of us lose a job? We're not talking about a pit. We're not talking about prison persecution. We're not talking about being a slave. Just losing a job, and Christians want to lose their mind. Just losing a friend. People want to give up on Jesus. Well, my friend doesn't come anymore. I don't know if I'm going to come. And want to give up on Jesus because you don't know the plan. Your pain has a purpose. It's in the plan. God is not a sadistic creator putting us under the microscope or rather the magnifying glass as ants and just sizzling us going, hey, angels, look at what I can do in their life. I can give this one cancer. I can give this one poverty. No, that's not God. God is rescuing us from our own bad decision through Adam and Eve, and he took our sins, our sorrows, and our sicknesses on the cross, and he's saying through the mess... I'm going to give you a message through the test. I'm going to give you a testimony. You can say amen at any time. Do you believe there's a purpose for the pain? And God's got a plan. And so when do I find myself the most discouraged? When I don't see myself in the plan. Oh, well, there's something in the everything that doesn't fit. So I'm scared now. My wife just got in a car accident. Her ankle's broken in three places. Mom of four now has to be laid up in a bed. What am I going to do? I have to pastor a church, have to homeschool the children. I'm scared. See, I feel scared. Why? Because I didn't think there was a plan for the pain and a purpose. I don't say this is what God wanted to teach me a lesson. I just say through the pain of life, God has a plan and a purpose. It's not like God gives us cancer to teach us humility. He gave us the word to teach us humility, not cancer. Fight against it until you go to heaven. Amen? But here's the idea is that when we feel that way, the feelings are deceptive, but the truth still remains the same. God is in control. It's not like God got off his throne and said, oh, my gosh, what just happened down there in Joe's life? Nancy's where? Where is Nancy? Somebody pray and let me come and help her. No, it's not like that, especially when you're a king's kid. Papa's already there. Papa's in the car. On the cross, take away time. Papa already took the pain of the injury. That will blow your mind. Didn't you know that on the cross, past, present, and future was already brought there? So he's already saying, I feel it with you now. On the cross, the eternal God felt the eternal pain, or not the eternal pain, but the, the, the extent of full pain of humanity. God knew the pain that my wife would feel as having it broken. God knew the pain that the driver would feel for running a red light, the shame that that person would have. God knew the pain that I would feel as a father, the four children in the car, the fears that they would have to get back in the car. And we need to trust God with everything. We need to know that he has a plan and he's working it out in conformity with the purpose of his will. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, God is good. 
Amen. God is good. Verse 12, thank you. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ. How many are happy that 2,000 years ago there were some Christians? How many are happy that Paul did it, that Peter did it? So you can look to them as examples. They were the first to do it in order that they may be for the praise of his glory. Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit. How many know that's you today. There is no difference in our union with God than there was with Peter or Paul or anybody else. My friends, Jesus said this, and Jesus don't lie. Jesus said, it's good that I go away because I'll send the comforter, and the comforter will be with you, and where he is, my father and I will make our abode with you. I believe that. So that means I have just as much of an intimacy with Jesus as Peter did, as Paul did. There is no distinction between us and them. The same Jesus that was with them is in us by the Holy Spirit. For you to deny that, you would have to deny the Trinity. You would have to say the Holy Spirit is less than Jesus. You would have to say that somehow he is separate from Jesus or less powerful than Jesus. How many believe the Holy Spirit is fully God? So if fully God is in you, you have fully all of Jesus' power in you. The will of the Father is in you. And that's why we started that passage with being in Christ, blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly realms. Now let's read our closing scripture. Everybody go, ah, this is it. This is our last time reading it. You will be moving on with us, but that doesn't mean you have to stop reading it in your Bible, obviously. But this will be our last time, 15 messages in total. Two, we preached on the gospel out of those 14 points. If you're ready, let's read it together. One, two, three. Who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Today's message is God's possession. Paul said all of that to say this. That's why there's a big uh, uh, crescendo here at the end with all of these commas and run-on sentences. You know, it starts uh, in verse uh, 12, and it just kind of goes, and there's a period there, but it goes on for quite a while. Then there's only, only really two periods there in like three verses, and it keeps going because what he's doing is crescendoing to the point that when we became saved, we became God's possession in Christ Jesus. And that was the promise that everybody was looking forward to. This was the promise that the Jewish prophets kept talking about. And so now this was given to the Ephesian people as well as humanity. And that's the revy, the heavy revy we've got to get is that in Christ, all humanity is God's possession. Isn't that special when you think about it, that all of humanity can be God's possession? There are all the messages we went through online. Go and check them out. Let's look at today's definitions. We only need two. How many know who God is? The blessed Trinity, Father, Son, and what? The Holy Spirit, amen. And possession, as it relates to uh, the Scripture, is talking about being purchased by the blood of Christ. So we had to be bought with a price. We became under the slavery and servitude of the devil, and for God to keep his word, he had to pay a price for us. When we sinned, we had death come upon us, and for death to be put to death, he had to die for us. That means the eternal Son of God had to take on flesh. But how many are happy? It says in the Bible that he was the lamb slain when? Before the foundation of the earth. How many believe that? Before there was ever a problem, there was a problem solver. And what's his name? 
Jesus. Now, let's look at these passages through the rest of the Bible to understand how we are God's possession, closing out this part of the scriptures and moving on to the prayer of Paul, to the commands of Paul. Paul gets into morality, to the order of the family, to spiritual warfare, all of those things that will come up in the book now, but never leaving this foundation that we are in Christ, seated in heavenly places, redeemed, bought with the price. We are covered in his blood, blameless and holy and his possession. Amen. Amen. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 10. Peter, having the same heavy revy of us being God's possession, says this. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now look at this, verse 10. Once you were not a what? You are not a hente. Come on, somebody. You are not a people, but now you are the people of who? Come on, can I just say that again? We are the hente of Dios. Hente de Dios. Ah, fuego. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not mercy, but now you have received mercy. I got to stop here because I did it in the first service, and I want us to take a pause and understand this because a lot of times we see this and we get it confused to how we were not a people and how we became a people. So often we think that we were not a people just because God in his own sovereignty chose Abraham but didn't choose us you know, for whatever nations we come from. For me, it would be Italy and Poland. For you, it may be Latin America or Europe or Africa, etc. And so we just think that maybe God was being picky. But we got to step back. All of us deserve damnation. The psalmist cries out in the book of Psalms. He says, God, what is man that you are mindful of him? the son of man that you even care for him. I mean, have you seen the universe lately? I mean, peered out on a nice night into the starry heavens. Have you seen how vast our universe is? Why should God care about little old us? Have you ever seen what's happening in our culture today? People have always been wicked, so yes, it's getting worse by defiling God as a people as larger numbers come and larger amount of sins are happening, but Cain killed his brother. I mean, have you noticed that we are a murderous people? Have you noticed that we're a jealous, backbiting people? Have you noticed that humanity has issues, problems? It's almost like we're pigs and we love our mud. Because every time God tells us not to do something, we do the opposite. He comes to us, and we'll just put ourselves in all the stories because we can relate to them. He comes to the people of Moses, and he says, I'm going to set you free. I'm going to bring you to a promised land. You are going to have the opportunity to own your own land and have prosperity. And what do they do? They argue with Moses. They say that they would rather stay slaves than to trust God in a wilderness. And then you follow their journey, and they complain. They backbite. They, they make a golden calf within just a few days of God separating the Red Sea. And I know some of us would step up right now and be like, oh, man, if I saw the Red Sea parted, Pastor, I wouldn't have any idols in my life. And I just look at the Christians that I see in church backslide all the time. 
After what I would say, they've seen even greater things. You've seen God take away drugs or addictions, but yet you go back to your perversion. You'll see God save somebody in your family. I have literally seen teenagers come and seek the Lord, believe God for their parents to get saved. Parents get saved, and then when the teens backslide, the parents backslide with the teenagers. It's like, dear God, people, do we ever learn? You might say, Pastor, boy, it feels good to be perfect like you. I've been baptized three times. Do you know why I've been baptized three times? Because I backslid two times. I did. I got baptized as an eight-year-old, brought up in a Christian family, baptized as my daughter was baptized as eight years old, loving Jesus. By the time I was in fifth grade, Jesus wasn't as cool as Anthrax and Metallica and NWA, and Jesus wasn't as cool as my friends. And then by the time I was 15 years old, I said, this isn't working. My friends got on fire for Jesus in a youth group. And I said, man, I'll give this a try. And I lived for God about a whole eight months. But you know what caused me to leave the church? You want, you want to know the problem which caused me to turn my back on Jesus? You guys want to know what it was? It, it wasn't the pastor tried to touch me in naughty places. It wasn't that they stole money from me. It wasn't that they, they started preaching false doctrine. You want to know what sent a 15-year-old kid storming out the church with swear words to go smoke weed that same very night, Wednesday, for youth group? The youth pastor said, I wasn't ready to be a leader. Well, I'll show him I'm ready to be a leader by quitting on church and living for the devil. How often we become our worst enemies. Literally, the devil could sit back that day and go, he's doing it himself. Demons, let him do it. There was no demon that made me get offended. It was me. I was that 15-year-old kid. I knew better than that youth pastor. Of course I did. And I knew what it took to be a leader in a church. I'd been a part of one for a full eight months as a Christian now, right? So I had better tell him my ultimatum. Either you let me do stuff around here or these boots are made for walking, and that's just what they're going to do. And these boots will walk all over you. Come on. Oh, you guys are so much better, right? What sins just tempt you and bring you down to that level? What things have held you in a grip? And God is saying to us, you don't understand this. He's saying to us through Peter, I never had to save you. I didn't have to do this. It was over for them. Angels don't get this. We're not praying for Satan to be saved. When those demons mess with you in the middle of the night, you're not saying, well, God, you know, kick them out, but have mercy and save them. You're saying, go to hell, get your punishment, take it now. And yet we just think that it was God just arbitrarily doing things. It was us that was sinning against him. It was us that was saying, we don't want to be your people. But he's so merciful. He doesn't let our last decision be our last decision. He gives us another choice. 
Now, one day he will say that is your last decision, but I'm so grateful that that day as a 15-year-old rebellious teenager, I didn't die in a car accident like that doctor did from America's Got Talent. My kids are about three episodes behind, and we just watched him sing, and I turned my head for a minute, and then it comes up at the end. He dies in a car accident, and I looked to my kids and took it as a teachable moment. Nobody's promised tomorrow. Nobody's promised tomorrow. And so now look at what he says. He goes, but you're chosen. And and we can say back to him, but God, I'm not of Israel. And even Israel could say back to God, but God, we've rebelled against you so much. You even said in one of your prophetic books, you're going to divorce us and hand us over to pagans. But God says, oh, but I'm not quitting on you. You can come back at any time. He says, I will restore what the canker worm has eaten. I will restore what the devil has taken to you. He said, call upon me in that day and I will return to you. And so we can say, yeah, we're not a people. We're not special in that way. God makes us special. It's not human potentiality. I'm so tired of preachers telling us that God did it for human potentiality. There's only one reason why God saved us out of hell. It was to show off his grace. It wasn't to show you how much potential you would have. Like now after 20 years, look at what Joe has done. Isn't Joe amazing? How about Joe tries to do this without the oxygen God gives me? Let's give that a shot. Right? Let's try doing great things without our brains. Let's stop having those neurons fire for what? A millisecond? Stroke. You're done. No, this wasn't to show off my human potential. I'm not here as a trophy of Joe's human potential. Oh, come on, somebody. I am here as a trophy of God's grace to declare the praises of him who called me out of darkness into his life. It is his glory. It is his reputation we honor. Amen. And so today, church, do you want to be the chosen possession of God? Remember, God is not choosing his next rape victim. He's not choosing the next one he's going to spiritually rape and put his Holy Spirit into enforce intimacy. Don't you like it? No, 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 no. That's why there's a place called hell. That's why there's a place called hell. There's always been an eject button out of this place. And sadly for Chester, I don't know what he was thinking. And suicide's not an unpardonable sin. But you even think, I'll take my own life and show God who's boss. You just set yourself to eternity. You're not in charge. He is. Hell is for those who say, not God's will, but my will be done. Heaven is for those who say, not my will, but God's will be done. Amen? And so how do we get chosen? By accepting the call to be chosen and saying yes. We wave that flag of surrender and say, I surrender all, all to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender all. You surrender it all. You go all in. Family is yours, Jesus. Family is yours. Dreams are yours. My body is yours. I'm yours, God. And you know the beauty of that is right when we say, I'm yours. You know what he says right back? I'm yours. Whatever we give up, he gives back with him 
in it. I give up my family. My family is yours. And he says, I'm in your family now. God, I give up my job, my career, my dreams. I'm in that now. And we say, God, I give up my heart. And he says, I'm home now. Your heart is my home. Amen? Here we see the promises of Deuteronomy spoken over the people of Israel. Now we know they've been given to us. I don't have time to get into the passage there in Ephesians. But if you go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, you'll see that this is the great mystery. Thank you, sir. You'll see that this is the great mystery that Jesus reveals to Paul specifically in the New Testament. This is actually Paul's like apex of what he was called to do was unite Jews and Gentiles together under the gospel message. And so Paul talks about that in Ephesians 2.11. We'll have plenty of time to get into that. Amen. We'll have plenty of time. How many believe that? You know we're not skipping any verses. But let's hear this because it was said to them. Now it applies to us. They still get the land by the way of heritage, but we get the kingdom on the land with them. Amen. For you are a people holy. Deuteronomy 7, 6, holy, separate, and morally pure before me. That's what holy means. A holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you out of all the peoples of the face of the earth to be his people. His what? Treasured possession. What are you now in Christ? His treasured possession. God chose them, and he has chosen us in Christ, who was himself a Jew. The Lord did not set his affection on you and chose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewer of all peoples. And doesn't Paul echo those same words when he speaks to them in Corinthians? Not many of you were mighty. Not many of you were noble. But God chose the lowly things to topple the, the high things. God chose the foolish things to topple the wise. And you can say, amen, that's my pastor. He's that foolish thing God is using to topple the wise. Praise God. Well, I'm wise in Christ, but you know what I mean. I was foolish. And if you were picking people to be your pastor, say, 20 years ago, I wouldn't have been first on the list, okay? You would have said, I'll take anybody but that guy. I don't know if I can even trust him with my wallet. He steals from his own parents. But see, God had a calling for my life once again, not to show off my human potential, but to show off his grace. And I just wonder if I was picking members 20 years ago, would I have picked you to be in this church? We've got some people that have been saved for a while, so I'll say 40 years ago. Come on, somebody. Now, thank God for the children raising a God heritage. And so I would like one day Bethany, my eight-year-old, if she's an 80-year-old woman, to say, Pastor, you could have picked me at eight. I was ready. But you know what I'm saying. Most of us have a testimony that isn't too far in the past. Maybe 10, 15 years ago is the average in here. But many of you, is just a few years. How many would like to see how long we've been saved? Let's all stand up. Stretch out your legs. Come on, everybody stand up. Let's all stand up. Let's see who's been saved the longest. And I mean saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. If you've gotten saved in the last 12 months, would you please sit down? If you've gotten saved in the last 12 months. Okay. If you've gotten saved in the last two years, would you please sit down? Last two years. That would be sometime around 2015. Three years. Four years. Five years, 2012, six years, seven years, eight years, nine years. Let's give it up for these who are still standing. Come on. How about, let's keep going. I'll go higher. Ten years. That means you got saved right around 2007. Okay, I can do math. Twelve years if you've been saved. Fourteen years. 
16 years. Come on, 18 years. 20 years. 22 years. And pastor grabs the seat. <laughs> 24 years. 26. 30. 30. Amen. 32. 34. 36. 38. 38 years. Praise the Lord. How many years have you been saved? Woo! 46 years. And her children are missionaries. I double dog anybody that thinks Christianity doesn't work. Go talk to these dear sisters right there. 46 years God has been faithful. Amen. That's what he does. He doesn't pick us based on what we can do for him. He picks us what he will do in us. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people, for you were the fewest of all people. But it was because the Lord, what? He loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors and brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery. Love is who our God is. Love is what defines his characteristics. He is holy and he is love, and those are not contradictory terms. He is justice and he is mercy. He is grace and he is truth truth. Amen. And so he loved us. That's why he did it. He wanted to show off his love. So he ain't got no more love for angels. Them boys are done, okay? But he had so much love for humanity because we were made in his image that he gave us another chance. And then the Bible says in verse 9, now watch this. Somebody say, you better know this. Oh, come on. Let's all know it together that therefore the Lord your God, he is God. He is a faithful God. We have a sister testifying for 46 years of faithfulness. He is a faithful God, keeping his covenant of judgment and harshness and all of these terrible things for a thousand generations. Is that what he does? No, he keeps his covenant of what? Of love. Isn't that something when people look to the Old Testament, they think it was all just wrath and judgment. Even then, it was still love. It was love. Uh, the law of God revealed the love of God for us because he was caring enough for us to teach us his ways. Now, is there a greater revelation through the person of Christ? Yes, there, was. Yes, there is. But we never would have understood Jesus unless we would have understood the law. Jesus had to come in fulfillment of something to us to understand what he was fulfilling. If he would have just showed up during the time of Cain and Abel, they wouldn't have known what good and evil really was. And that was the fruit we chose to want to know about, didn't we? We wanted to know what good and evil was. Was. That's why he gave us 613 commandments to say, hey, I'll give you an idea of what good and evil is. Come on. And I'll show you how often you fail at being good and how evil you really are. And he showed us through all those sacrifices, especially the one on Passover, that we needed blood death to atone for our blood and for our death. And so the Bible says that even to the Israelites, that he keeps his covenant of love for a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commands. That's why we've got to pray for the nation of Israel because a thousand generations are still among us today of this heritage and that land belongs to them. Amen? That doesn't excuse any sinful behavior they have done. They have to repent of things they've done, but we need to be on God's agenda and God's plan for the nation of Israel. And then we see here in Titus chapter 2, verse 14, Paul speaking again. He says, who gave himself, talking about Jesus, to redeem us from all what? What did he redeem us from all? Is there any wickedness left in us as believers? 
Only wickedness that comes into a believer's life is what they choose now to do, and the Bible says they should repent and be forgiven of it. Think of your life today as that purified water bottle. When you get the water bottle, you don't purify it again. It's already pure. The Christian is born into the pure spirit of God, as we've shown in that picture before, intermingled with his presence, made a new creation. The old has gone. The soul has been saved. And so that's the default position is to be holy. But now imagine you're drinking that water, a fly gets in, you now filter the fly out to go back to the default position of pure water. Can I hear an amen? So what does the believer do? Thank you. When they sin, they say, this is not what I was created for. I am not created to be a pig in mud. I am created to be a son or a daughter ruling and reigning with Christ. So yes, a sinner and a saint may both sin, but a sinner like the pig loves the mud like a dog eating its vomit, sees no shame. But the the saint sees that sin is not their identity repents and see who they are in Christ, right? And that's the difference, as I said before, from condemnation and conviction. Condemnation comes from the devil and our own doubts and fears and tells us who we're not. Conviction says who we are. When I correct my child, I'm correcting them based on who they are, not who they're not. I believe they are a wyrostic and can obey these laws and do the things that please me. And remember, they're not doing those things to be born into my family. They're already born into my family and have already pleased me, right? So when we are born again, we're not doing good works to please him. We're doing it because we love him and want to show that we are appreciative of that gift. And it does please him, but it's not to be saved. We're not trying to earn his pleasure. The pleasure's already been given to us in rebirth. Amen? He is not that, he is not that unruly father at the sideline that sees us drop the, the, the winning catch and then gets mad at us and won't talk to us on the way home. He's the loving father that sees our mistakes as a point of growth and for us to be more like him and go from glory to glory to glory. Amen? And then lastly, in Revelation, everybody go, ooh, we touched on this last week. Thank you very much for staying faithful to this. And new uh, members now keep coming and join us in the new series of the prayer of Paul. You can definitely skip ahead and do your homework and read it this week. But here is the crescendo. Here it is, what Paul was talking about, what Jesus was talking about, all of these Old Testament prophets. We mentioned it last week. We come to rule and reign with Christ. But now look for, those, look for that word, that language of purchase, possession. See if you can find it here. Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll to open its seals because you were slain with your blood. You purchased, let me say purchase, see you got it, purchase for God, persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Somebody say God's possession. Now in closing, Adam, would you come, please? I want you to see this scripture and get it in your heart. That which possessed you, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says you now possess. That which captivated your heart, now you can captivate. Think of it. Let's look at it. 2 Thessalonians 2.14. He called you to this salvation. Same author, Paul, just a different book. Follow the thought. It almost sounds identical to when you believe the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You were in Christ just like us. See if you see, if you see the similarity. He called you to this salvation through our gospel. But now look at the nugget he drops in here. Beep boop. <laughs> Catch this nuggie right here, because that's why I love the Bible. It's like sound, surround sound. It's like you hear it all when you read it. How many love reading their Bible? Now, he adds this nuggie. He didn't put in Ephesians, but I think it summarizes what he's saying in Ephesians. 
He called you to this salvation through our gospel so that you may possess the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can possess it. But hold on, I thought it says no one can have the glory of God. The Bible says specifically in Isaiah, Pastor, no one can have the glory of God. You're absolutely right. No one can have the divine privilege of God. No one can. But Jesus can bring you into him and share it with you if he wants. In Christ. Do you get it? In him. That's the sermon series. I don't have the glory of my own. I don't take it from him. I am not a part of the Trinity. But listen to the language of John 17 as I do my best to recall it. That he said, Father, I've done the work you want me to do here. I'm going back to you. I ask you now to give me the glory that I had when I was in your presence. And then you read on and then he says, and I will give it to them. The Jehovah Witness, who says that Jesus is a mere creature, says that proves that this can't be the glory of divinity because now Jesus gives it to humanity. So whatever glory Jesus had, it's not the glory of Isaiah. It's not what Isaiah saw in Isaiah chapter 6. I saw the Lord high and mighty, and the glory of his train filled the temple. It's not that. It's the glory of a creature, like the glory of a king or whatever. And we go, no, 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 no. You don't understand. The only reason why he can share it is it because of us being in him. The Bible says we are now partakers of the divine nature in him. He's not a separate being. And now ontologically speaking, as I show you these wonderful pictures again, ontologically speaking mean has to do with the metaphysics of being. We are spiritual beings, things we don't see physically. The Bible says at that place of divine interminglement, we share in his nature. But he never stops being God. We never stop being man. But we are the possession of God, and we possess his glory with him. Not in the sense of being worshipped, being anything other than his creation, but we go from a sheep out in the field to being in his house by the end of Psalm 23. And by the end of the book of Revelation, we are sharers of his glory. Do you see this amazing thing that God did for us? And that's why I love ending with that picture as we think about what God is doing in our hearts is that he is showing us that he always wanted a people, that he always wanted a people that would be forever transformed by his, uh, transformed by his spirit into his image. And so when we think about the bride of Christ being God's possession, we are his bride. And we're going to get into that and remember the mystery, Paul says. And this is a mystery that the two become one. And I'm not talking about just what the married couple does in the honeymoon suite. I'm talking about Christ and the church becoming one. See, it's not that we just get glory on us. We get glory in us. That's what I was trying to show in this picture. Do you understand? It's not that just glory comes on us, glory comes in us, and we are now the trophy of his grace. As the whole body of Christ, the whole bride of Christ, we show forth that glory. And so would you just close your eyes with me in closing and imagine what that day will be like when he comes and glorifies you in his presence with a resurrected body to rule and reign. Or if you can imagine heaven more easier to see yourself around the throne, partaking of the glory of God in worship. Now from that place of identity, go back to our passage in verse 3 and start to see the heavenly blessings of God coming through you now to this world. 
Because this is who we are in the spirit right now. Remember, death isn't our savior. We don't become more holy when a body dies. We don't become more closer to the union with God when a body dies. The interminglement has already happened. The divine impartation, the partaking has already happened. So what do we do for these years on earth? We share forth the blessings of God. We are the light of the world, he said. Why? Because the light is in us. As others have said, it's like he's the sun, we're the moon. And as the moon has light, not of itself, but only reflective, but still enough to shine, that's who we are in this world, the reflective light of Jesus. Now, would you think of three things today as God's possession that you may be doing to stopping that flow? Have you covered up the glory of God in your life that he's wanting you to partake in? Look at your marriage. Say, Lord, examine my marriage. Are there things in my marriage that I'm doing or we're doing as a couple that is hindering you from shining forth through this marriage, through our family, maybe as a parent? I was brought up in a Christian home, but my mom had no problem backhanding me wherever she got mad at me at. I don't raise my children that way, and I don't say that to embarrass my mom. I'm just saying there were things that I needed to change even from my upbringing to line up with Christ. We're not going to have a house where dad loses temper and slaps kids in the car. We're, not, we're just not doing that. That's not the glory of God in a family. Come on, somebody. How many teenagers here want the glory of God in their high school? I gave up the glory of God for sin, and I tell you what, the greatest regrets I have ever had in my life, the memories I have to cast down the most are those three years from 15 to 18, the scars I bear on my body and mind. I know I'm healed, I'm whole in Christ, but that literally became a battle, and I long to see teenagers never go down those roads to have to battle those thoughts for years. I could tell you a lot more about that, but I don't have opportunity to. But I'm telling you, friends, young people choose the glory of God right now. Three things. What are they? Now do what the Bible says. Repent, turn in your heart from them, and turn towards the glory of God. And now let's pray. Watch this. Pray for three ways for God's glory to be revealed in your life. I would start with the three ways that you have struggled in and now declare victory over of course, they can be other things, but I would start there and say, God, where I once had anger in my marriage, I ask you now to bring peace and patience so your glory can be seen. God, I ask you on my job where I've been complaining or not working well with others that your glory will be seen here. A few more moments, a few more moments praying between you and the Lord. Trust me, this is worth your time. This is worth your time. Jesus. Jesus. In me and through me, God, let your kingdom come. In me and through me, let your glory come. In me and through me, let your nature come. The Son of God became the Son of Man. That Son of Men might become the sons of daughters of God. This is the big crescendo, friends. This is it. 
This is it right now, ruling and reigning with Christ, starting with ruling and reigning over our passions and desires, starting with husbands. Why do you think, come on, think about it. Why is it in Ephesians? It's all about family at one point and knowing order. And then why do you think it turns towards spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6? It's because when you got it in order, your family will be in order. Your children will be in order. You'll take down the devil, and you don't do it with a sword. You do it with the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. Come on few more moments. It's worth our time, is it not? Why is it in the book of Ephesians? He says, take off the old, put on the new. Take off the old, put on the new. He goes through all of these moral imperatives, all of these things we all know we should do but can't do on our own. And he bases it all in this one revelation. Those who have taken off the old have put on the new, created in righteousness in Christ Jesus. That's how you're going to do all these moral commands with the righteousness of Christ clothed on you, the mind of God in you the power of the Holy Spirit through you. 30 more seconds. Transformation comes right now. Transformation comes. If you believe it, even right now, you can just start to raise your hands. We're going to stand in just a moment. But even now, if you believe it's coming to you, the Holy Spirit, He is here, and transformation is coming. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you. Victory over every area of our lives. Victory over our families. Victory over the city, God, and the issues of our our violence, God, and politics, God, and corruption and false religion. Victory, Jesus. Shine us, uh, shine through us for the world to see us, God. If you believe it, can I hear an amen? As you stand up, let's give it up for Jesus. Come on. Jesus. Band and altar workers, come quickly. Would you sing before we go? I know I normally dismiss you. Be and then we sing, but could we sing this song we got in the first service? I am yours. We'll just sing it out. It's very simple. Come on. I am yours and you are mine. I am yours. And you are mine. You are mine. Just sing it from your heart as declaring your relationship to Abba Father. You are mine. One more time and then we're going to lift it up today. Yes, Lord. Okay, come on, let's lift up our voices. Declare it, saints. Before we go, can I just hear the sisters sing that out? Come on, ladies. Sisters, daughters of Zion. Oh, be encouraged today. You are not alone. Whatever you are facing today, God is with you. That which has possessed you, you now possess. Come on, sisters, sing it out today. Encourage yourselves, mothers and daughters of Zion. 
a few more times. Whatever you're going through, believe it today. Every struggle you face, you face with Jesus. You have his unlimited resources with you. And if you suffer, you suffer not alone. One more time, sisters, sing it out. Okay, come on, fellas, warriors of God. Just the fellas, sing it out as the 300 today. Disciples of Christ, come on. I am yours, and you are mine. Every burden that you feel you have to carry, place upon Abba Father today. Every question you have in your heart, you don't have to go through this alone. You have the great comforter with you, fathers, the strength on the inside of you. Come on, come on, men. I am yours, and you are mine. Just a few more times. I am yours, and you are mine. Can we all sing it together one last time? I am yours. I am yours, Lord. We silence every lie of the enemy today. We silence the lies of depression. We silence the lies of sickness. We silence the lies of despair. Everything is working out to the plan of him who called us according to his pleasure and will. One more time and then we'll give God a hand clap of praise. Come on, and you are mine. Can you give God a hand clap of praise and a shout of victory? Yes, yes Lord. How many of you feel you can kick down the gates of hell now? Amen. I want to encourage you with a kingdom mindset to go into this world as conquerors. But if you should suffer, know that you don't suffer alone and that our rewards are in heaven. The greatest ones are. Amen. You will be dismissed in just about 30 seconds, but I want to say something important to you about these life groups going on as you saw them on the board. We are setting records in this church right now. We have more people going to life groups and to services. We're averaging 250. Both services look similar to this. The life groups, there are 13 of them. We dreamed about starting a Latino life group, and now the ones first started. Three youth life groups meeting this week, family one. I just want to tell you from my heart, thank you. Because we started off this church to do those three things, connect, mentor, send, and it has changed my life. And I'm so grateful that it's changing others. We put another record on the board. We have 155 registered disciples. Can we give it up for Jesus? Amen. And so this is just something I wanted to do. I wish I would have done the first service, but I just want to do it with you now. Can I just pray for your business, your family, whatever you need to see prosper today before you go? Because so many of you have dedicated to this house to prosper. And I feel so often as pastors, we don't say thank you enough. And then we don't take time to pray for your jobs, your careers, your dreams. And I just wanted to say thank you and then pray for you. Father, bless every family, every house, every career goal, every educational goal. God, those who are going through hardships, 
in, a, in this church, God, I always have to do with both, and you've prepared me for that because sometimes I'll see people buying a new house and then the other ones will lose a house or a new job and somebody will lose a job. But, God, I just pray that everyone will be encouraged whatever season they're in, the valley or the mountaintop, and let them know that this church is so honored to serve and work with them. It is a dream come true for my wife and I and the pastors here, and we give you that glory and say thank you again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I just had to have a sentimental moment. You are dismissed. Have a great week. If you would like to pray or worship, come on up. That's why we have prayer workers. Otherwise, we'll see you at those awesome life groups. Thank you for coming. In time. Have a great week. God bless you. Hang out for prayer or worship. If you would like to get in the after party. In your presence is my sanctuary. In your presence is my sanctuary. Your presence is my sanctuary. Your presence is my sanctuary. No place I'd rather be. Your presence is my sanctuary. Your presence is my sanctuary. Under the shadow of the Almighty, I will dwell. No evil shall befall me. Ten thousand at my other side. The destruction shall not come near me. Because your presence is my sanctuary. On my job, in my family. In the hospital. Oh, wherever I go, God, wherever we go. Rachel, before we turn you loose to a prophetic song, would you pray for our nation right now? Because President Trump just said that he was going to stop letting transgender come into the military. And you would have thought that he just said he wanted to kill all the baby kitties of the world. People lost their mind. And yet in reality, people are killing babies and they don't care, right? Our world in a moral sense is so upside down. Would you pray for our nation's leadership, that morality, the God-given morality will come back through, that we'll raise up and be the church he's called us to be, even in government. Hallelujah. 
Thank you. Jesus, Lord, we lift up our government to you, yes, Father. Lord. We lift up the leaders of our city, of yes. our state, of Jesus. our nation, Lord, right now, God. And your Jesus. word says to pray for them, God. So today we lift them up to you Jesus. from our president all the way down, Father God, the hill there, God. We ask in the name of Jesus for God-fearing men and women, Lord. God-fearing men and women that will live according to your word. God, we ask that your spirit would stir in these men and women. You would stir, Father God, a love of your word, a fear of God, Lord Jesus, that they would, God, be raised up, oh God, to make the standard high, oh God, in our nation. We ask for wisdom upon them, God. We ask for grace and mercy upon them, God. God, that we would turn back to you, turn back to your word, turn back to your standards, turn back to your laws, oh God, and that this nation, oh God, would look to you, Jesus, as our Savior. So God, we lift them up to you, God, all the way from present and all the way down. God, we ask for God-fearing men and women to live according to your words and according to your laws, God, and that our cities would be changed, our states would be changed, oh God, for your kingdom in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And Rachel, can I ask you now as a psalmist, not to put you on the spot, but to use your gift, would you sing a song over this city or nation right now? Something for the heart of God over our people. We need Jesus here. Jesus, come to this land, Lord. Come to this land. For a few moments in the after party, if you want to join us in intercession, would you just start to pray for this land? Pray for our city. We are a people that needs to be God's possession. We need to repent and come and be God's treasured possession. All nations, all tribes, Jesus, all all economic statuses, all suburbs, all states, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. a scripture as you're saying in that singing that Habakkuk 2 14 says for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea might we put some of that just a song right now that the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea Jesus, we sing this over our nation, over the mission field, over Japan, over the Middle East, over Southeast Asia. Oh, yes, Lord, the 1040 window over our city streets. 
As the glory covers the seas, let your glory fill me. As your glory covers the seas, let your glory flow through me. As your glory covers the sea, let your glory flow. Let your glory flow through me. As your glory covers the seas, let your glory just a few more times let your glory flow flow through me as the glory covers the sea let your glory oh I feel Jesus come on come on come on yes 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 come on Jesus 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 more Lord more Lord yes Lord more mas fuego more of your Holy Spirit oh every son and daughter every young person God over yes God over the hurting today as your glory covers the sea let your glory flow through me as your glory Just to that same rhythm, can we sing that exciting part of the first song, just maybe as our last song? I am chosen generation. I'm going to bring down the gates of hell. Just to the same rhythm and melody. Don't change the key or anything. But just sing that simple lyric. Put it up there for us, please, if you can. That we're a chosen generation. That we are called to bring down the gates of hell over our families, over our communities in the economics for prosperity to come so we can be blessed to be a blessing chosen there you go amen thank you man i am chosen to bring down the gates of hell i am chosen to be the light in this generation Chosen. I am chosen to be the light in this generation. I am chosen to bring down the gates of hell. Lord, as we prepare to move from this place, those who are praying may continue to stay, but Lord, we don't want to leave this revelation of your transformation to bring your glory to the nations. We don't ever want to forget it, God. Help us to read the book of Ephesians this week and even see that prayer in this context, the following verses. 
that we're to pray that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened so that we can see the hope and the power that you have within us, that we would know your love. Do it in us, God. In Jesus' name, in the after party said, Amen. Amen. Feel free to keep praying and worshiping. We're not going anywhere, but we'll dismiss the band. Thank you, after party.